In this lesson, we're going to stay on track with what Daniel was told about Antiochus IV Epiphanes and, by extension, the Antichrist. Before continuing with this lesson, you should review the lesson prior to this, which is titled, The 70th Week of Daniel, Understanding a Key Message Delivered by a Very Different Messenger. Please turn to Daniel chapter 8, verses 5 through 26. Daniel chapter 8, and we'll read verses 5 through 26. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power his large horn was broken off, and in its place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land, which is Israel. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. Now something to consider here is that a lot of times, and especially it seems here, when God talks about stars or the starry host, he does mean angels. Daniel chapter 8 verse 11. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation? By the way, that might sound familiar to you because that's exactly what Jesus said when he said, when you see, he said this to the Jews, talking even though through the scriptures from many years ago, to the Jews at the time of the tribulation. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then flee. But that's what he was talking about, and we are reading exactly what Jesus was referring to right here in the book of Daniel. So the rebellion that causes desolation and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. Interject Jesus himself, confirming the seriousness of the days of both the foretype of the Antichrist and the more intense persecutions of the latter, full-fledged Antichrist himself, that is seemingly very soon to come now. Let's read Matthew 24, verses 14 through 15. Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 15. So, in that context, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This confirms what we just read. Returning to Daniel chapter 8 and in verse 14. 
He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from Ulai calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said, understand the vision concerning the time of the end. Verse 18 of chapter 8. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Remember that, the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. Now, verse 23 of chapter 8. In the latter part of their reign... When rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his hand against the prince, capital P, of princes. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince, capital P, of princes. This is telling us, he's talking about the day when the Antichrist himself is preparing to meet Jesus Christ and take his stand against him. That's what this is talking about, and that's what seems to be coming very soon here. So, very timely lessons here. Yet he, the Antichrist, will be destroyed, but not by human power. Of course not, because the prince with the capital P is going to do it. Daniel 8 and verse 26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision... For it concerns what? The distant future. I'd say around the year 2020 or so, around that time, in my humble opinion. A last point of Antiochus and the Antichrist comparison is found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. Hmm, a fourth kingdom that will appear at some point in the future as compared to when this was written. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth. That hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. You can smell it. I can smell it. Trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. 
And this king will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High, capital M, capital H. That's God. He will speak directly against God and oppress his saints and try to change set times and the laws. Are you getting this? This very strongly alludes to the Antichrist who will belittle or blaspheme God during the tribulation and when that third temple is rebuilt, and we've talked about this many times in the past in these, in this, in these sessions, in these training, or these Bible studies, that he will allow the daily sacrifices in the temple liturgy to be reinstated, and then he will change the set times and the laws. I also believe that extends into set times and laws of other nations around the world at the time when he's here. And I also further believe that it will also, as he consumes not consumed so much, I guess, but as he coagulates the world's religions into his own, he will take control of their set times of worship and observances and so forth, and their laws, and change them as well. The saints, or the Jewish people at that time, because the church won't be here, the saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a times. That's the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Remember that chapter 11 seeks to show, among other things, that the Antichrist's lineage is not only Roman, but even more closely through Greece via Alexander the Great. This is going back to now the first surrounding ecosystem, if you will, of the first Antichrist type, which is an Antiochus Epiphanes, the main, the main Antichrist type, the Antiochus Epiphanes. So we have here Seleucus and the main character, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. Now imagine you are a Jew in these latter days, moving forward again, being able to make sense of all of this because so much time and history has passed since Daniel's writings. I mean, this is where we are right now, and this is exactly what we're talking about in this modern day. So imagine that you are a Jew now in this modern day, or even as we get really close when that third temple starts to show up and, and maybe you think that as a Jew is getting ready for your Messiah if you're not sure of, well, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Matter of fact, you probably don't believe that as a Jew, obviously. Imagine that. and starting to make sense of all of this because so much time in history has passed since Daniel's writing. This becomes really a witness to you. You would probably be astounded as to the accuracy of what was predicted as we go through, as and again, previous lessons before this. All of this, the Greeks and the Romans, before that, Medo-Persia and Babylon, this uh, Nebuchadnezzar statue that Daniel is detailing here for us of all the Gentile powers, you'll be in amazement because this is all already done. We are very close to the end here. So you'd probably be astounded that this was all predicted and documented as history, and it all bears out. And you would ponder that on this accuracy, then the future track for you as a Jewish person and your people, the Jews in Israel and around the world, at this point in time, right now, will be just as accurate. And it's just around the bend. I hope you're impacted by that thought. It is written that all of this was to be sealed up from understanding until this time. We know that God told Daniel, seal the, the words that we've given to you, seal the words of the book, the scrolls he wrote, and to be on his way. Seal them up to the end. But now, 
you can understand it all. I can understand it all because we are right at the end and the book of Revelation is the book of revealing where the book of Daniel was shut up as one of the bookends. Then time goes by. Now we reach the other bookend, which is the opening up what was sealed and the amplification of it, which is in the book of Revelation for the church and also in conjunction with other scriptures for the Jew and those who come to know Christ out of the Gentile world after the church is taken up in the rapture and at the point either just prior to or when the tribulation actually starts and this one ant man, the Antichrist, a little horn, actually makes his presence known and makes himself known. Now you can understand. And chapter 11 of Daniel gives a dynastic bloodline to this Antichrist, which is what we're talking about. But I want you to have a more of a uh, 20,000 foot or a 30,000 foot view of this whole timeline from really what we're focusing on now from Alexander the Great and the generation of this one called Antiochus or Epiphany and what Daniel says about all of that time frame and the Seleucids and all of those uh, generals that came after Alexander the Great passed away till now and see how it all jibes. So chapter 11 gives this dynastic bloodline so that we can understand more especially right now as this is being revealed to us who are studying deeply the Word of God, looking for clues of where we are and how close we are to the end. So this bloodline to the Antichrist should be able to be checked by future generations. Let's continue in chapter 11, verse 5. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders, or princes, will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. This king of the south is the one called Ptolemy, one of these four generals of the deceased Alexander the Great. Ptolemy, who was king over Egypt at that particular time, when he took over, after they moved out from the point of Alexander the Great's death. He pressed against Seleucus, who finally did prevail over Ptolemy. Let's continue now in chapter 11 and verse 6 of Daniel. After some years... They will become allies. Hmm. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance. But she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days she will be handed over, together with her royal escort and her father, and the one who supported her. Now what is all that talking about? Well, Ptolemy II, the second ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty in Egypt, brought his daughter Bernice to Antiochus Theos of Syria as a marriage pledge. Now, this is the history that supports what Daniel just said. And this is what he was, quote-unquote, prophesying or predicting. Both she, Bernice, and Antiochus Theos were only seven years old. They were married at 12 and later killed, which touched off yet another battle. Let's continue in chapter 11, verse 7. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. This is about Ptolemy III, Ptolemy III Eugetes, the third ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty in Egypt. Bernice's brother, who held great hatred for the Seleucids and wanted to avenge the death of his sister, Bernice, wreaked havoc upon the earth. Continuing 
in chapter 11 and verses 8 through 14. Chapter 11, verses 8 through 14. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Chapter 11, verse 11. Then the king of the south will march out in a rage, in a rage here, and fight against the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumphant. For the king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first, and after several years he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 14. In those times many will rise against the king of the south. The violent men among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. In summary, verses 5 through 14 details events about 250 years yet future to Daniel's current time, which is about 538 BC in that time frame. So what is detailed in these verses in chapter 11 is a long yet future to Daniel history of the intense warring back and forth between the Seleucids and the Ptolemaic dynasties, the post-Alexander the Great dynasties. So the Seleucids are now in the north, the Ptolemies are in the south, and because of its geographic position, poor Israel gets the brunt of this fighting that we're talking about. Now, in Daniel 11 and verse 15, we come to Antiochus I Soter the Great. Antiochus I Soter the Great. Let's read Daniel chapter 11, verses 15 through 16. Then the king of the north will come and build up siege ramps and will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be powerless to resist. Even their best troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in, and emphasize this, the beautiful land capital B, capital L, that is Israel. He will establish himself in the beautiful land and will have the power to destroy it. What does this all mean? After Antiochus I, the great, came a couple of Seleucids, but Daniel specifically mentions Seleucus Philopater. That's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. His lifelong desire was to raise a great army to help fund this dream, he greatly raised the taxes in his kingdom and in Israel. Now let's read Daniel chapter 11, verse 20. His Antiochus I, the great successor, Seleucus Philopater, will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed yet not in anger or in battle. Hmm, how does that work? He did indeed not die in anger or battle, 
his history shows that he just died. We then follow into verse 21, where the focal point, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, comes on the scene. This is the big guy. This is the man who Daniel dwells on and makes to prefigure the ultimate big guy of this coming, and I'll say, I am sure of it personally, soon coming Antichrist. That person is here on the background, behind the curtain, on the world stage right now, right now in November of 2020. You may remember that Antiochus for Epiphanes, again, a descent of Alexander the Great, just to keep everybody straight here on this timeline and this lineage. I know it's very detailed and something we typically don't think about, but this is exactly what Daniel's talking about, so we should keep ourselves straight with what's going on here in the players, right? Antiochus for Epiphanes, a direct descent of Alexander the Great, was the original desecrator of the temple when in 168 BC, during the intertestinal period, which was between Malachi and, and the book of Matthew. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew is about 460 years, I think, before them, where God did not send anyone to write anything down, gave nobody anything directly as far as Scripture. So the Old Testament closes at the end of the book of Malachi, and this stuff all happens during the intertestinal period, and then the New Testament opens up the book of Matthew, and of course John the Baptist coming, and then Jesus coming, and then the rest, they say, is New Testament times, right up until now. So Antiochus IV Epiphanes in 168 BC did a horrible thing, and this is the original desecration, which is he took a pig, one of the most unclean animals in Jewish culture. He sacrificed that pig on the altar of that temple, defaming debauching, totally making filthy that temple. You may also remember that Mattathias the Hasmonean and his son, Judah Maccabee, the Hammer, that's what they called him, the Hammer, and his band finally won back that temple. He cleansed it of that desecration and then rededicated it. They relit the menorah. But had only one day's supply of oil for the lamps. But God made it last for eight days. That is what is the story and God's miracle behind Hanukkah. So let's read Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 through 23, now that we've heard this. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has never been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure. Peace and safety? Hmm, you see the similarities here? Because when the real final Antichrist comes, we are told by Jesus that when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them, and they shall not escape. Well, what are we seeing here? He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Mm-hmm. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people he will rise to power. History shows that Antiochus IV Epiphanes came into Israel gloriously and in a state of honor. He bedazzled them with pomp and circumstance and goodness. He to them was a good man. 
The Jews took to him and thought that he was benevolent. Do you see the parallels? This is exactly what's going to happen when this Antichrist comes on the scene after the horrific worldwide devastation that is going to come because of the rapture, which is not going to be a secret rapture because it's not the fact that we who are alive and are caught up are changed. We'll disappear. That's one thing. But I fully believe, and so do others, because we look at Scripture that... When there was resurrections before, resurrection power causes earthquakes. And as the dead are raised in Christ at the rapture, because remember, we're told that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who remain alive shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and then join them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and forever we will be with him from that point. Well, when they come up out of that ground, it's going to cause earthquakes, explosions, violent ejections out of their graves into the above ground area and above and as they raise up that's what's going to happen there's going to be chaos and then this antichrist is going to come on the scene with the answer they're going to love him and of course you see the whole system right now right now through our current president donald trump in his first four years of presidency what has he done but give worldwide fame to the jews he's catered to the jews i'm not saying this is right or wrong i think it's fine but the point is it's being done with the embassy being moved from Tel Aviv, recognizing that Jerusalem is their capital, and now with this peace plan of the, the century, it's called the Abraham Accords now, and his Jewish son-in-law and his now Jewish daughter driving this with him. You can see this is exactly where we are in history. It's time. So the Jews are, are already being fawned over, and they're getting primed and pointed to for the Antichrist who will love them or show love to them at that time, and they will at some time be set up to worship him as their leader. Anyway, back in the day of Antiochus Epiphanes, this kind of thing is happening also as a foretype to what I just said about the coming Antichrist. Going back to Antiochus for Epiphanes, the Jews took to him and thought he was benevolent. They were almost all set to worship him as their leader until 171 BC when he started to persecute them. That's what the antichrist is going to do when he comes three and a half years in and he's going to have his own abomination that causes desolation and it won't be sacrificing a pig on the altar he is going to say as he walks into the temple on one day three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation that he is the god of israel and then that will be the desecration so we're talking here in 168 bc Tychus walks in into the temple and desecrates it I also understand that not only did he sacrifice a pig on the altar, but, and I think I've mentioned this in a prior lesson or two, that he actually set up a statue of Zeus. Now, Zeus is an ancient god, as you've probably heard, but he is also the type of Satan. And when the Antichrist moves into the temple, I don't think he's going to sacrifice a pig. He will be the pig that will go in there and be the Zeus that walks in. But remember... It is said that there is going to be an image made of the beast that will be able to speak and move and it will be put into that temple by the false prophet and other people. And then it will speak and move and it will force all to take whatever that mark of the beast is going to be at that time. So you see the parallels here. This is very important for you to understand and for me to understand. So Antiochus took all of the golden implements, including the menorah, 
When the Maccabees rededicated the temple, the menorah was still gone. They made one out of lead because they didn't have any gold. The original menorah was made of gold. By the way, the menorah itself has been recreated. It is in Israel. I saw it with my own eyes when I went to Israel with my wife and some other people back in 2011, I believe it was. And uh, I saw it. I stood next to it. I had a picture taken next to it. It's outside right now by the Temple Mount. It's in a big protected case. And anyway, this one, the original one, had been taken. They made another one to stand in for it out of lead. And it is the lamps of this leaden menorah that God blessed to burn eight days on only one day's supply of oil. The Hanukkah quote-unquote miracle. Well, it is a miracle. The key point here is this. From verse 21 forward, the subject is not only Antiochus for Epiphanes, but, and I hope I've made this clear, the future fulfillment of this man of sin, the final son of perdition, the coming Antichrist. The text blends together both this foreshadow and the latter fulfillment of that coming final Antichrist. The clear indication that I want you to think about here is that Antiochus for Epiphanes and this one who is coming in the line of the Romans and even the Greeks, they are of the same bloodline and the same dynasty. And keeping that in mind, let's read Daniel chapter 11, verses 24 to the first part of verse 36. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth from among his followers, his followers, those dedicated to worshiping him. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war and with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Verse 26 of chapter 11. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. See, you're, hopefully you're getting the picture here. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. I hope this is now ringing a bell with you, as it does with me. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Verse 32 of chapter 11. With flattery, 
he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God, the true God, will firmly resist him. Daniel chapter 11, verse 33. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end. And you remember that Jesus said, and it's not to the church, he said this to the Jews that will be reading it at that time, that those who endure to the end will be saved. Well, that is not a condition of salvation in the church age. It can't be, because Jesus said that once you are saved and you accept him as your Lord and Savior and his shed blood to cover your sins, and for me too, any of us, in this age of 2,000 years, that nothing can take him out of his hands, neither things in the deep, nor things in the heights, nothing. And there is no condition to your salvation. You don't have to endure to the end of anything. You're saved. So he's talking about them at that time. will be saved going from the tribulation into the millennium where he reigns. So if you think of that and you know that, you have to now understand that this is what's being talked about. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. It will. So think about that, that they who endure to the end remain spotless and purified and refined until the time of the end. The king will do as he pleases. Thinking of that, let's move to Revelation chapter 13, verses 3 through 14. Actually, the second half of verse 3 through 14. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast, which is now he's talking about the, the soon coming true Antichrist, the final one, the big one. The one that Satan is going to indwell and it's going to be bringing in the seven-year tribulation and the end of the age. The whole world was astounded or astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon, which is Satan, which is the anti-God, the father, who is indwelling the beast or the anti-Christ as the same but opposite of when God the father indwelt the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, as his human representative as God on earth. It's the same thing but opposite, and this is the point. So men worshipped this Satan because he had given authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they also worshipped the beast or the Antichrist and asked, who is like the beast? Who is like the Antichrist? He's so powerful. Who can make war against him? That was a point of worship. Not everybody's going to love the Antichrist. That's not what worship really means. Sometimes people worship someone or something to get benefit from it or to be protected by them from harm or to be given food or to, to be given clothing or to be protected, like I said, or to be told that if you worship me, like Nebuchadnezzar said back in the day uh, in, Bab in the Babylonian captivity, he raised a huge statue of himself and he said, whenever you hear the signals of the of these uh, musical instruments to stop whatever you're doing and face the statue from wherever you are and bow to it and worshiping him through the statue isn't that the same thing as when this antichrist or the image of the antichrist is standing in the temple and they're told to worship it's sort of like what muslims do when they pray five times a day they bow toward mecca do you see the similarities here and those who don't are subject to death so they're going to do it because they have to so that's what you have to think about. That's what I have to think about. 
So the whole world, while this king is doing as he pleases, the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Chapter 13, verse 4. Men worshipped the dragon, and because he had given authority to the beast, and they asked who could make war with him, Revelation 13, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth, a big mouth, to utter blasphemous words, or utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years. And by the way, as a side note, I've mentioned this many times in the past in other lessons previous to this, that when God talks about a set of months or a number of months or years, he's talking about or using that in context of the 360-day prophetic year. It's not the 365-day and a quarter year that we talk about here or that we know. It's the 360-day prophetic year that was established centuries and centuries ago. So that's what he's talking about. But it is still three and a half years nonetheless. Verse 6 of Revelation 13. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He's blaspheming heaven. He was given power. Hmm to make war against the saints or the Jews at that time and those who take Jesus Christ at that time, although they are not the church. The church has always been raptured. The bride of Christ is now up in heaven. And so anybody who's saved during the tribulation will be saved for eternity, but they will not be part of the church. They cannot be. You need to understand that. The church is for a limited time only. It's this mysterious time frame that Daniel saw that didn't understand what it was in the 70 weeks of Daniel and there was a parenthetical pause between the 69th and the 70th week which is the church age and when the church is done they are taken up in the rapture the restraint is taken out of the way and then the, the 70th week starts we've gone through all of this before so I suggest you go through those studies or find these things out on your own because this is under, you need to understand these things to understand the context of what's being said here so he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. Truly, a one-world government has been readied and given to him. All the systems of the world, all the people of the world, all the religions are tied together now and handed up to him. And technology will be the great enabler for the Antichrist to feign omnipotence and omnipresence isn't that what we have right now the surveillance state all of this technology he's going to use technology to call down miracles from heaven and do other things that he's going to be able to do he's going to come as a, as a god or as sent by god you know it's been said and this is true science and technology can do things that we would not be able to distinguish from miracles many people have seen that already and this is where we are that's why we know we're at the end Anyway, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Again, they may not love him, they may not even like him, but they will worship him because he has control over everything. Buying and selling and being able to live or live well or be given money and power under him if you really worship him. So verse 8, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names were not written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb. This is the point. Belonging to this lamb, and the lamb is identified here, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So we know that all those who have not accepted Jesus Christ that are still here, that do it during the tribulation time, those are the ones that will be exempt. But all inhabitants of the earth will worship be all those whose names who's not written in the book of life. And it's the way if you don't worship him, that's why you will be beheaded, because you are Christ's in that time. 
And those that are Christ, the tribulation saints, as they've been called many times, will be beheaded because they will not bow down and worship the Antichrist. Very simple, very straightforward, and that's what's going to happen. Okay, let's uh, skip to verse 11. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. And he had, now this is not the first beast, he's already here, the Antichrist. So this is another one. Let's see what it says about him. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of that first beast, the Antichrist, on his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. That's like a false resurrection, by the way. He's going to be executed, somehow killed, by folks that don't particularly like him. And he is going to be declared dead and rise up again. That is the hallmark of a Messiah, isn't it? And that's what's being talked about here. So then they're really going to worship him because he's going to miracle. He's going to be brought back to life. Just like a resurrection. And he performed great and miraculous signs. Hmm, sounds right. Even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Now, this is not the Antichrist this is talking about. It's talking about the second beast who has two horns like a lamb doing all of this. And it says in verse 14, Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the Antichrist, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Well, at the time of the end, there is going to be, they have the anti-God, which is Satan, the anti-Messiah, or the anti-Christ, which is the anti-Christ himself, which is the anti-false of Messiah, indwelt by the anti-God, the Father, and we just now heard about the anti-Holy Spirit. The true Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus said will testify to him. He's the one who brings down the fire on those that were baptized. And he is the one who does miracles, and everything points to Jesus Christ, right? He's the actualizer. Well, we have the same anti-arrangement right here. That's how Satan works. As above, so below. Opposites. Equal but opposite, that's how he does things. He's not an innovator. He is a copycat, but he's a highly accomplished strategist, and God allows these things. Anyway. So somewhere at the time of the end, and again, it looks like it's real soon. We're at the end of 2020, and if you are hearing this now, or even afterwards, you've been through 2020, and you know this year is an inflection point in world history that is undeniable. It's never been like this. And we are coming out the other side of this year very different and the world will never be the same it will never be the same because we are that close and now people are being trained you must wear a mask or you cannot buy or sell you must have a vaccine and that vaccine is going to have all sorts of goodies in it to make sure that you are at the minimum tracked and worse it's going to move the transhumanist agenda forward and other things this is where we are and it's not going to stop we may get a slight respite if at this juncture we don't know if joe biden is going to be the president or if Donald Trump is going to be main president. So at this recording, I don't know. It's just before Thanksgiving of 2020. So we will see soon. However it falls, though, the world has changed. And this is going to come. Within at least a few years, it's going to start. It's going to start in earnest. But you see, because the world's already changed. We already have people trained. We already know what the vaccine is going to be. There's going to be The army's going to distribute it. And it's going to be around the world the same way. I'm amazed because I've taught this before. And I've never taught it in conditions like this. So this is living. This is a living document, this Bible right here. 
Anyway, it was given to Daniel to tell us this story. It is given to the Jew and to us to understand. Let's return to Daniel chapter 11, verse 28. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. Mm -hmm. And he will take action against it and then return to his own country. So this applies to both Antiochus for Epiphanes and the Antichrist. Antiochus pretended to support the holy covenant, but despised it as well as the Antichrist. Didn't Hitler pretend to support the Jews until he showed he, how he despised them and he was able to, to rouse everyone around to hate the Jew? But what do you think is going to happen soon? Right now, the whole world, because mainly because of Donald Trump, working against the UN and so forth, and the Palestinians, and, and working and with this Abraham Accord, and, and the Muslims, and, well, the Arabs are signing on to it, and, and other Muslim nations, and... No, everybody's going to love the Jew and everybody loves Israel, but they are going to be trounced at some point. And you see the same thing happening again now, as we see here, the ramp up and then the destruction of the Jew. Bring them under into your confidence and then destroy them. Get them close to destroy them. So what is the Holy Covenant? Well, it's the Abrahamic Covenant. The land grant of God to Abraham and his seed, especially the apple of God's eye and the prize for all of these people, and the Antichrist is the capture of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And God said that it was going to be a burdensome stone, if you recall from Scripture, and that those who all they will all come against Jerusalem at the end, and those who seek to destroy her will come against her, but they will be dashed into pieces by anybody who tries to lift that burdensome stone. Well, that's what's coming. But in the future, the very near future, when the, when the Antichrist turns around and shows his hatred for this holy covenant after wooing them, like we're in the period of wooing them now, the Jews, Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's read that. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 18. So, this is what Jesus says, When you see standing in the holy place, this is in the temple, the third temple, because there's no holy place there now, uh, 70 AD, which is after Christ's death, but he's talking about this temple that's coming. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, which we just went through, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. It's time for the Jews to scatter and go. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Just get out, drop everything and go, because you have limited time or you will be killed. Let no one in the field go back to get this cloak. This is how it goes. Let's read Daniel chapter 11 and 29 to 30, looking at what we just read. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. See, I want you to draw these parallels here from the Antiochus 4 prime forerunner on, of the Antichrist to what Jesus and what we've talked about already and what we know is coming with the final Antichrist. At the appointed time, we will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands, the King James uh, Version says, ships of Shittim, will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who also, I'm going to say also, who forsook the Holy Covenant. This is a reference to the world global system. The ships of Tarshish, mentioned in the context of bearing riches and finery and commerce, also referencing many times as being destroyed 
in the example it would be Isaiah 23:14 if you want to look at that exemplifying the worldwide trading system run by the beast system the Babylonian system of, of the economic system of the trade exemplifying the trade system that mystery Babylon of mystery Babylon is what I'm saying finally coming to an end in the book of Revelation we're going to stop shortly here but let's read Daniel chapter 11 verse 31 his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation and there it is the antichrist will do exactly what antiochus for epiphanes did this time in the third temple and at a much higher magnitude we're going to stop here right now we have quite a bit more to go to finish off the book of daniel i hope you're finding this profitable i taught this the first time and i found it profitable learning it and putting it all together teaching it the first time and teaching it now years later many years later for such a time as this in the end of 2020 so thank you for joining may all of this bless you may you be blessed talk to god pray about these things see if if he's got more he wants you personally to understand maybe he wants you to help others understand what you're learning be ready to teach be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you especially as these days darken and the false christians and the false christianity hyper-patriotism, all that, those things, and those who are worshiping these political figures as they battle for the supremacy of at least the United States and the world is fighting lockdown and all these things. It is being divided very quickly. And those who think they are holy but are not are the ones that are going to persecute you if you're a true Christian, if you tell them these things, and they're part of the delusion. So be careful, be strong, stay close to the Lord as we get closer to that time. I will be presenting another lesson soon. Bye-bye.